This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC. And welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. This week, we are previewing the college football playoff. My guest is Cole Kubelik of the SEC Network and ESPN, and he hosts a daily radio show in Alabama on WJOX, and you can catch him on Sirius XM. Simply put, Cole Kubelik is the hardest working man in sports show business. And nobody breaks down the film and explains it better than Cole. So that's why I brought him on to talk LSU-Oklahoma and Ohio State-Clemson. We take a deep dive into both semifinal games and glance ahead to a possible national championship matchup. Thanks again for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us on Westwood One Podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, just about anywhere you'd like to get your podcast. Please subscribe, and if so inclined, give us a good review. It helps college football fans find us, and it helps us find more college football fans. And away we go. Joining me today is the hardest working man in sports media, Cole Kubelik. You can find him on the SEC Network, sometimes on ESPN, often on Sirius XM, and on his weekly late morning radio show at, on WJOX if you're in the uh, Alabama area, Three Man Front. Cole, thank you very much for squeezing me in and uh, what I'm sure is always a busy time for you, and especially with the holidays coming up. Hey, Ralph, I appreciate you having me. It's always good to talk some football with you, man. Yeah, and, and like, you know, I brought in you because I want to get into the, the X's and O's and the nuts and bolts of these two playoff games. And I know you study up the film like nobody else. So let's start with the first game and start breaking it down a little bit. LSU comes in. This is almost a two-touchdown game at this point. Oklahoma's had some suspensions and injuries, including one really key player, Perkins, the defensive end and pass rusher. LSU has been and has assembled an offense that is almost impossible to stop. So I ask you, Cole Kubelik, how do you stop these guys? Well, I think I think Oklahoma, first off, I don't think they have the bodies to be able to do it, but I do think that they have a little bit of an advantage that Clyde Edwards Hilaire may not play in this game. I think he's been much more valuable than people give him credit for. Uh, rushing for almost 1,300 yards. I think he has 16 rushing touchdowns this season. He's caught 50 balls out of the backfield. I mean, that's that's better than a lot of receivers, number one receivers in college football. Uh, so I, I think if he's not available, I think that can help open some things up a little bit. Obviously, I don't know if, if LSU has the same kind of success throwing the ball out of the backfield or, or just running the football, even though – that offensive line just won the Joe Moore Award as the nation's best. I, I think that that helps Oklahoma with what they want to try to do. It's just not a great matchup for the Sooners, Ralph. It's just it, when I look at at what they have defensively, especially now that Ronnie Perkins is out. If you're going to beat LSU, you got to win one on ones because you can't allow Joe Burrow to win the numbers game at the second and third level. 
of the defense. Number one, they level their routes so well. They, they give you underneath and routes over the top that you're going to have to make a decision on what you have to cover. And realistically, I mean, the, the strategy that you have to take is you have to get to him before those routes become available. And then he has quick stuff that he can get to, whether it's Thaddeus Moss at tight end, whether it's been backed out of the backfield, whether it's slants with Chase and Jefferson. So he has so many different ways that he can distribute the football. Uh, I don't think you can just sit back and play coverage. And then if they, if they attempted to, I don't think Oklahoma's that good in coverage. So it's going to come down to Alex Grinch being creative, trying to mix and match coverages, and then try and find ways to, to, to get Joe Burrow off platform. I don't think Joe Burrow's a guy that you can affect just by hitting him. Go back to when Derek Brown thumped him in the Auburn game this year. Go back to the bowl game against Central Florida after the interception. He's never one of those guys that you see sort of, you know, climbing off the turf or, you know, having his teammates having to pull him up off the ground. Like, physicality doesn't seem to bother him that much. He doesn't really get impacted by that. So, I don't even know if just getting to him is enough. I think you have to force him to change his arm angles. I think you have to force him to move around and throw the ball past you. And you you better be locked up with their receivers because not only can they make difficult catches, but they can find a lot of yards after the catch as well. It's going to take a, a perfect performance by somebody to be able to slow them down, and I just don't know if Oklahoma has the bodies to be able to do it. Yeah, in some ways, I, I think you know. I talked to one coach in the SEC, and he's he said, "Listen, you got to make them kick field goals and hope they turn the ball over," which is almost conceding. It's almost like a white flag, right? I mean, you're basically hoping you can minimize some big plays have them misfire a little bit in the red zone and again maybe make a turnover here and there but when when that's your strategy like play good red zone defense and hope for turnovers what you're saying is we really can't stop these guys we just got to sort of hope that they malfunction a little bit and we limit and maybe we make some tackles and and limit their but big that was, plays that was the auburn i mean that was the that's auburn exactly play. the auburn I mean, game you think right? about auburn gives up 24 points and i think it's there there's not an auburn fan on earth going into that game in Baton Rouge, a place that Auburn hasn't won since I wore a uniform over 20 years ago, that you said if we if if, if Auburn's going to give up 24 points, do you feel confident you're going to win? You said hell yes, like that. I mean that would be a that would be a huge victory against that offense at that point in time. And LSU still has 500 yards of offense, right? Right. And only 24 points. I mean that's I think that has to be the recipe: clamp down in the red zone, avoid explosive plays, hope they kick field goals, get a turnover or two. And I guess if there's an advantage that, that Oklahoma has, and obviously we're, we're kind of focusing on defensive personnel, but the advantage is that they, they can score points. Right. And, let's, and let's, we'll, let's do that. Let's flip it over here. Because the other thing Oklahoma has done this year is, I mean, we I think we think of Oklahoma as tempo, obviously explosive plays, but sort of moving quickly. But that's not Oklahoma this year. If there's a team that can maybe play some keep away, maybe it's Oklahoma. See, I... I think they can, but I don't think that's the route that you go in this game. Okay, This is me. This is my opinion. I, I think that foot on the gas, get the ball out on the edge, take your shots down the field, utilize your quarterback runs, and, and, and try to go tempo is to your advantage because the reason that LSU's defense is different right now, Ralph, is that most of them are back and most mm-hmm. of them are healthy. And – one thing that Dave Aranda has not had for the majority of this season has been the majority of that defense together at one time. You look at Glenn Logan, Rashard Lawrence, Caleb on Chase Song, whether it's been Divinity in and out of the lineup, Grant Delpit, mm-hmm. they haven't had the same 11 on the field very much, especially along the front seven. Well, right now they do. 
And that showed up down the stretch against A&M. It showed up against Arkansas. And it showed up against Georgia, who brought one of the best offensive lines in college football to the table. So I don't think Oklahoma's good enough up front to just say, we're going to play ground and pound against this group. And the other problem, I think, comes with the versatility that LSU brings defensively. Um, I, I think when you look at guys in that LSU secondary like Grant Delpit, who can play down close to the line of scrimmage and, and who can also play in coverage, Caleb on Chason, who can be an elite pass rusher but can also drop and is athletic and flexible enough to play out in space, uh, a guy like Jacob Phillips, a guy like Jacoby Stevens, who – Yes, they can play in the box, but they can also play outside the box and are fast enough, athletic enough to do different things. They they have versatile players that can line up just about anywhere and mix and match and do different things. And then, but and and they're all going to be behind a big physical defensive line. I mean, just go watch Tyler Shelvin and Apuika play nose guard. I mean, these these guys are absolute boulders on the inside of that LSU defense. And then with Lawrence and Logan. Uh, outside of those two guys, I, I don't think Oklahoma can just line up and run the ball. And what they've been most successful with this year have been gap scheme runs, power plays, counter plays, and some of those athletic, versatile alley defenders that I mentioned, I think can come up and make life very difficult on those kind of plays. So I don't see Oklahoma being able to play keep away against this defense. I understand that that strategy would be great to keep Joe Burrow off the field, but I think if Oklahoma has a chance to win this game, it's go full bore, Big 12 football, full track meet, just foot on the gas and try to score as much as humanly possible. And then you hope for you can force or, or LSU turns it over, force a mistake, try to get field position one or two times and maybe last possession wins. But I don't think ball control is the route that Oklahoma can take and ultimately be successful in this game. But then the question becomes, because a lot, again, they become a heavy run team with a, you know, a great back and a great quarterback run. Can Jalen Hurts be good enough in the pass game to go full bore, to make a lot of plays downfield if they're not running it great and it's, and it's not off play action and RPOs? I think you have to take that chance. Mm-hmm. Has he consistently? No. Can he? Yes. I think he can. Uh, I mean, he, it's not like Jalen Hurts. I mean, he, it, the moment shouldn't be too big for him. Sure, He's no been doubt. in four of these things. Yeah. So he understands what it's like. He's played in big postseason games before. Um, I, I think you just devise a plan that simplifies things for him a little bit more and gives him easier throws and gives him easier decisions. Where, where he may be most valuable is just leaving the pocket. Okay. And, and maybe that's sort of your strategy if you did want to play some sort of ball control is that you know, he, he's a guy that on certain passing plays can leave the pocket and turn him into explosive plays. But, you know, Bo Nix is a bit of a mobile quarterback. You saw some of the stuff that Rich Rodriguez did with John Rice Plumley have some success. Kellen Mond is a bit of a mobile quarterback, obviously played against Texas and a mobile quarterback there. So LSU has seen quarterbacks that can run and has seen – quarterbacks that have system designed for quarterback runs but I understand that Hurts made some mistakes down the stretch from a turnover perspective but I just think you got to go with it I think you have to rely on the fact that he's a veteran quarterback you've had extra time to prepare and you you have to put things in that allow him to have a lot of confidence in his decision making because like I said before if you if you go study this LSU D line right now not what it has been all year but what it is right now 
I just don't see Oklahoma being able to line up and run at them. Let me bring you back to that old Miss game because I think there's an easy, I think if you just looked at numbers, you would go, okay, wait a second. Old Miss ran for 400 yards on this team and they've got great production out of its quarterback run. That should be Oklahoma's blueprint. Now, I think what you're going to tell me is the defense is a little different then, but also that's not necessarily the way Oklahoma runs the quarterback. The way Oklahoma runs the quarterback is not exactly the same way that Ole Miss runs the quarterback, but what is the same and what is different about what Ole Miss did and why Oklahoma can or cannot be able to replicate that? Yeah, if that was a consistent issue, LSU is going to be worse than 23rd in the country in rush defense. Right. And I mean, they're giving up under 120 yards a game. So if that if that was a real problem week in and week out, the, the numbers are going to tell a little bit of a different story. There are a couple of things that go into that, in my opinion. Number one, keep in mind, that was coming off the Alabama game. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people nationally just think, oh, that was a big game. I don't think people understand how big of a game that was. Ed Orgeron has made Alabama his primary focus since he arrived. It hasn't been an SEC title. It hasn't been a national title. It hasn't been winning the West. It's been beating Alabama because none of those other things happen until you beat Alabama if you're LSU last year or the 10 years before that, whatever it's been, since the last time they knocked off Alabama. Alabama is the standard in the SEC and what you have to get past to be the next team in the SEC. Just ask Georgia. Mm-hmm and where they've sort of been stuck not being able to get past Alabama the last few years. So the emphasis that was placed on that game, the emphasis that's been placed on recruiting and beating Alabama in that facet, I think so much mentally the most – I'm going to tell you, what this LSU team is right now, winning the West, winning the SEC, there is a large portion of that, Ralph, that is not anywhere near satisfying if LSU does that with a loss to Alabama. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, that's how much it meant to that program, to that head coach, to those players, and especially to those fans, mainly because it hadn't happened in a while. Mm-hmm. So that had to take place. And, and when it did, in the way that it did, you, you had to anticipate some sort of a letdown game the next week. Emotionally, they were not going to be at the same place that they were. And now, then you could look at what Rich Rod's offense was. Nobody in the SEC is, is facing what Ole Miss was able to do offensively this year with an elite talented quarterback that's a legit sub-4-5 guy and a couple of skill guys at running back and receiver that make life very difficult, the way that they were managing that thing and manipulating some of the reads and play fakes, it was very difficult to defend and very different to defend on top of the fact of what we mentioned a little bit earlier that a lot of that front seven was still banged up in that game or got banged up again in the Alabama game and they weren't necessarily close to 100% when they faced off Ole Miss. So I think all of those things sort of put together were a lot of the reasons why. And, and let's, let's also keep in mind that that Ole Miss offense was, was pretty good this year. I mean, right. they, they, made, they made Alabama look bad defensively. Mm-hmm. They made a lot of people look bad. They made Auburn look bad at times defensively. I mean, John Rice Plumley was, was one of the best rushers in the SEC this season. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I He's one of, I think, five or six thousand-yard rushers that the SEC had this year. So let's not pretend also like he didn't consistently make things happen with his legs regardless of who he was playing against. Right. So that doesn't bode very well, all of what we're talking about. And again, Oklahoma is a 14-point underdog. So at this point, to expect Oklahoma to win this game is to expect a very large upset. It doesn't sound like you expect that. I do like the idea of of them sort of, as you said, go full Big 12, turn this into a shootout, and hope it falls your way. How do you think this plays out? I'll make you make a pick on this game. I think we're we're probably talking about 
one of the biggest margins of victory in the college football playoff era. Now, I'm not going to say the biggest because I think Florida State be or Oregon beat Florida State by 39. Alabama beat Michigan State by 38. Uh, Bama beat Clemson 24-6. Yeah, year, there, so. and there, there was a 31 uh, nothing Clemson Ohio State a couple of years ago. So you're you're looking you're looking in the 30s if, if you're, I'm if thinking, you're up to that I'm point. I'm thinking yeah, 30 plus point win, and, and and in that area of what some of those other games have been, a very comfortable win for LSU. Yes. Yeah, I could see that too. Uh, again, I, you know, in talking to some folks, not that one player is going to necessarily swing things, but. Losing Perkins might have been the worst player for them to lose because well, it's he was... just an area that they couldn't afford to lose a guy. Right, it's, it's not necessarily just what he is, but just in this particular game, LSU's going to have a lot of five man protection and mm-hmm. a lot of you know quick six man protection where Thaddeus Moss helps and then gets out, or the back helps and then gets out. You have to have guys who can win one on ones because, like I said before. You can't just play man on the back end. You can't give LSU the numbers advantage on the back end. And if you can't win with your one-on-ones up front, then all of a sudden you have to dedicate extra bodies uh, to the back end, and that's going to give Joe Burrow a lot of time to operate. And he's made people look really silly when he has a lot of time to operate in the pocket. Okay, so that takes care of the Peach Bowl with LSU in Oklahoma. We're going to take a very quick break here on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm talking with Cole Kubelik from SEC Network, ESPN, yada, yada, yada. We will be back next to talk about the Fiesta Bowl, which I think is going to be a much closer game between Clemson and Ohio State right after this. This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC. We're back on the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast, talking with Cole Kubelik from the SEC Network and ESPN and uh, various other platforms. So, Cole, the Fiesta Bowl seems like a game that could be for the national championship. We have sort of looked at the country this year and saw these three superpower teams, the undefeated teams, LSU, Clemson, and Ohio State. There was a lot of talk about how it was really important to be number one because you wanted to avoid Clemson. I still think in my heart of heart, the more I talk to people, that Clemson is the best team in the country. I have liked a lot of what I have seen out of Ohio State. When you look at these two teams, let's start with, let's say, when Clemson has the ball. Because what comes to my mind is, how does Clemson match up with Chase Young? That seems to be the most most disruptive defensive player in the whole playoff. Let's start with there and just build off that. So I'm going to go a couple of different directions here. And and. Initially, I'm going to say not very well, but maybe well. Mm-hmm. First off, I think all four teams in this playoff have some sort of tackle or tackles deficiency when they're on offense. Okay. And I understand we're talking about one offensive line that just won the Joe Moore Award. But you have, there have been breakdowns individually by one or both tackles, especially in pass protection, this entire season. Now, what can all four of these teams do? Score points. When you're scoring points, you're throwing the ball. They can all throw the ball well. So my first response when I think about that is, number one, who can help offset that? Who can aid that the best? And then number two, who can take advantage of that the best? 
Well, all these quarterbacks move around fairly well. Some are just better runners. Some have design runs that can help out a little bit. And a guy like Joe can just, he moves around the pocket very well. And keep in mind, he was their short yardage back at LSU last season. Doesn't have to play that role this year, but he can, he can break you down with his legs. Go back to the Alabama game, look at that film and, and what he did to them. When I look at Clemson, what they don't have are capable bonus bigs to be able to help out against Chase Young. Backs, tight ends, H-backs. I, I, I would not be surprised to see some sort of a plan implemented with an extra offensive lineman to maybe try to slow things down. So that could be a problem. But where I also look at Clemson, and I think if Clemson wins a national championship this year, one thing that we will be talking about is the legs of Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence is a much more capable runner than people give him credit for. Trevor Lawrence also has great durability. He's a big physical kid. I mean, he looks like a small forward. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that Trevor Lawrence would have any issue taking 10 or 15 hits a game for two games if that's what it took for Clemson to be able to break a couple teams down and win a national title. This is the best offensive line that Davos had since he's been at Clemson. We know Travis Etienne is elite. We know they have big, physical, wide receivers with gigantic catch radiuses. So if your safeties have to play deep and out to help with the receivers, and now there's more of an emphasis on the front side of the run game where Travis Etienne has been great and the offensive line's a little bit better. Well, if defenses have to sort of shade to that and play that a little bit, what does that leave open? That leaves some quarterback runs open for Trevor Lawrence. Mm. That could be some zone read stuff, some read option stuff. It could be just quarterback design runs where on the backside of things, there could be a lot of green for him to steal yards, so to speak, against certain defenses. And then also, let's just be honest, if Chase Young's getting one-on-ones, he's I mean, go back to go back to the South Carolina game, and I mean, you'll you'll see uh, a couple of times against both tackles where I mean, Kingsley and Bari, fifty-two for South Carolina's breaking guys down. I mean, it's you're, they're going to be facing a much better pass rusher in this game than they were in that game, or really in the majority of this season. So, I think Lawrence just leaving the pocket could also be of great value. So, I think his legs are going to be very important to watch in this game. Obviously, dealing with Chase Young is going to be a headache, but don't forget about Jay Sean Cornell or Davin Hamilton also. Guys that if you put the Big Ten title game on, they made a couple of really good Wisconsin offensive linemen look silly in that game. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's just Chase Young. I think Robert Landers is a guy that can help them up front as well. This is a really, really good defensive line across the board, one that I think they could probably win with not having to overload the box against the run game physical linebacking play as well. So I think this comes down to Ohio State in coverage, and we know with Okuda and a couple of the guys they have on the back end, they're good. We know they can play. So this, this is going to be, in my opinion, this is a game that's on Trevor Lawrence. Is he accurate? Does he make mistakes? And can he break this Ohio State defense down with his legs at times to be able to help find consistent success? Now on the other side of the ball, what I am – curious about because this is a different Clemson defense than we've seen the last couple of years and that it's not dominant up front but it is great in the back end and it blitzes more it does more I, I would I hate to use the word exotic but it does a few more different things and it has had to I think it's re- a fair term I think it's a very fair term yeah because it has to be, because quite simply it doesn't have four NFL defensive linemen as good as Xavier Thomas is and could be and Davis is and could be it's not what it's been the last couple of years so what I'm sort of curious is 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 this the one is Ohio State the one 
one team that might be able to just run the ball on Clemson. Nobody's able to do it, A, because the ACC doesn't provide enough offenses with balance, and also they tend to be up 28 points in the second quarter. So that's the, the fascinating matchup to me is, can they just hand the ball to Dobbins and maybe get Fields involved and actually do some things on the ground? Because I've had at least one coach that faced Ohio State who says, listen, Dobbins is, is sort of the catalyst of this offense. As he goes, that's, that's the way they go. He's insanely good, mm-hmm. and he, he can he can hurt you between the tackles. He can bounce plays outside. He has the speed to run away from defenders. Uh, I, I would agree with that assessment, that he is sort of what makes this offense go. The other part of that might be the middle of the offensive line. Uh, I think Wyatt Davis is one of the, if not the best guards in college football. I think he's the best right guard in college football. He was on my first team All-American team, offensive line. Uh, and I think this is a huge game for Josh Myers at center. Not only – being able to get a push, being able to help open that run game, but the recognition that you mentioned of going to a bear front, to an odd front, to an even front, to an oaky front, and the different slants and stunts and even some of the stems that you're going to get from this defensive line and this front seven before the ball is snapped, they have to be able to read and recognize what they're dealing with, and obviously assignment football is going to be key. And the other part of that, too, is the flexibility. We kind of mentioned this earlier with some of the LSU hybrid guys. When you watch Kayvon Wallace play, when you watch Isaiah Simmons play, there seems to be four or five different positions each that those guys can line up. I mean, Wallace can play both safeties. He can mm-hmm. play nickel. He seems like he can play corner. And you can put the Syracuse film on, and you'll see Isaiah Simmons legitimately playing free safety, like middle safety in a cover one look. And then he's blitzing out of that look at times. So you're going to have to know what front you're getting, who's lined up where, and be able to read and recognize what that defense is giving you, or else they're going to have guys that are running free, and that's going to give them potential plays in the backfield that are going to force turnovers and give you negative plays that could help Clemson win field position. But it feels to me like the best option may be sort of playing ground and pound for Ohio State because I think physically they can win up front. And then I think, too, it's not just Dobbins, but the health of fields might also be critical in this game because – I think he's somebody who, if you get him going on the ground, can obviously hurt you as well. So I think the running game for Ohio State is is probably going to be more important than any other run game for any other team in this college football playoffs. Yeah, that's interesting. And and Fields clearly was being held back in the Wisconsin game. You know, he's got the knee issue. He had a big bulky brace on. How serious that knee issue is is hard to tell. Because uh, my sense of it was they felt like they could deal with him not running against Wisconsin. Now, it did it, it clogged things up a little bit. It took them about a half to get unleashed against Wisconsin without him running the ball. And there were a few times you would see some of the read plays where you're like, boy, if he kept it, he would walk in and he was not keeping it. So I think Fields' health and how much he runs becomes super important. Do you think you could see him getting 20 rushes in a game like this? I think it's possible if that's what's there. If that's what if that's what Brent Venables wants to give him, then I think he has to take it. Um, because obviously, with that with the flexibility of what they're able to do at the second and third level to try to take other things away, you, you got to cut him loose. I mean, that's that's you know, I, I think all bets are off in a game like this, especially against an opponent like this. You, you you have to find a way to just get to that title game, and then you sort of regroup with a little extra time and figure it out from there. Let me ask you. I want to twi- switch back to that the uh, the matchup of the. 
Ohio State corners, and they've got Akuda is a terrific player. Arnett's played himself into possibly a late first-round draft pick. Wade is sort of the hybrid guy who does some interesting things in the slot there. But nonetheless, I mean, you have freaks beyond freakishness on the other side with Ross and Higgins and even Amari Rogers does some really good things. So I'm fascinated in that matchup because it seems to me like on both of those cases, Ohio State assumes it's going to win a lot of 50-50 balls defensively, but maybe not against these guys. And I know Clemson thinks it's going to win its 50-50s when they're on offense with its receivers. Is there an advantage there? Are those Clemson receivers just too big and too good? I don't think Clemson, from what I've watched, it doesn't appear as though they're as reliant on 50-50 balls this year as they were last year. Mm -hmm. And the problem is when you see, and this is what Joe Burrow is so good at too, and Trevor Lawrence doesn't get enough credit for this, Trevor Lawrence can bludgeon the middle of the field at times. Mm -hmm. And so many college football teams, Ralph, are just terrified to even attempt to attack the middle of the field. This Clemson team is not one of them. And I've seen some throws – the last third of the season where the coverage has been phenomenal, but Trevor Lawrence is legitimately putting the ball on the front of a guy's face mask Mm -hmm. or on the front of a guy's number and on the front shoulder of a receiver where he's able to catch it and continue to run over the middle of the field. So I, I think more of this game probably comes down to Fuller and White and what they're able to do in the middle of the field and maybe in anticipation of what's probably going to come their way as opposed to just guys that are going to be in man coverage. Now, you're not going to get a ton of man-to-man with these Clemson receivers because, like you said, across the board, they're just too good. But I think where Clemson is most dangerous is now over the middle of the field and the accuracy that Trevor Lawrence brings with those throws, and that's going to be the most difficult part to stop it. I'm, I'm kind of wondering the only way to stop it, maybe Chase Young, maybe Davin Hamilton, maybe Robert Landers is finding a way to get a push, finding a way to get a pass rush, and at least just force him to at least move left or right and force him to change his arm angle a little bit to sort of hinder the accuracy on some of those throws down the field. So, yeah, Lawrence, you know, for anybody who maybe was a little hung up on the beginning of the year where he looked not quite like his, you know, all-star self that he looked at like at the end of last year in the playoff over the last you know month and a half of the season and you can tell me it's competition but he his numbers have been very much like Joe Burrow I mean he's completing in the high 70s of his passes he hasn't thrown a pick in a while so he has been fabulous toward the end of the season and looked very much like the player who won the national championship last year let me just hit on fields for a second he's a little bit more of an unknown because we haven't seen him this is only his first year as a starter and he can make some absolutely beautiful throws. I don't know if he has the down-to-down mid-range accuracy of of Lawrence, but if the game sort of gets put on fields, not just as a runner, but as a passer, what's your confidence level on him being able to rise to the occasion? It's hard to say that you're not confident in him because the young man has thrown one interception. Yeah, he is unbelievable year. at protecting the ball. He just does not I mean, throw... Is- that. Yeah, and it's it's not just that he doesn't throw he doesn't throw interceptions. He rarely throws balls that could be intercepted, which is pretty amazing that, as well. And I think a lot of that, to be fair, has been by design. You know, keeping him out of those situations. But when you throw forty touchdown passes and you only throw one pick on top of that, I, I don't really care how you're doing it or who you're doing it against or what you're doing. It's impressive either way. It's just it it really is impressive. Um, I think what it comes down to is if, if we're if we're bouncing these two quarterbacks back and forth and we're, we're playing that that game of ping pong, 
who do I trust more? It's going to be hard for me to not say Trevor Lawrence. Mm-hmm. And then I think, too, on, on top of that, when I'm looking at Justin Fields going against a defensive coordinator in Brent Venables who has had success against other great quarterbacks on this stage against you know, in, in these type of games, you know, that may be where things are very different. I trust Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is spectacular. Um, I don't know about him on this stage in this moment right. because we haven't seen a ton of it, and we've seen more of Trevor Lawrence in it, and he's excelled in it a little bit further. But the numbers don't lie with what Justin Fields has done this year. I do think more of it needs to be on his legs in this particular game. Uh, because if, if, if Brent Venables can find the weakness, can find the thing that he knows he struggled with, that's what he's going to give him. That's what He's going to make him complete that throw. He's yeah. going to make him take the stuff underneath. He's going to make him take the stuff on the perimeter. If that's what he feels like can give them the best chance. And then not only can Justin Fields be accurate, not only can Justin Fields make those throws, but I, I, I think it's inside not getting greedy and, and, and not being someone who's trying to force things at certain points in the game. That's, that's the hard part. That that may be – we talked about the LSU-Auburn game a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. That may be Joe Burrow's most impressive performance of the year, mainly because the only throws that he was given for three quarters of that game were underneath, were dinks and dunks. And you know what he did? He went out there and said, okay, cool, we'll take them all day. And mm-hmm. if, it, if, it, if it takes me eight throws on a drive as opposed to three, I'll throw eight, I'll throw ten, I'll throw nine. So be it. And he just took it. That kind of discipline's hard for a quarterback. Yeah. Because if, if you talk to anybody in college football, most of them, if you ask who gets greedy first, offense or defense coordinators, most of them will tell you offensive coordinators get greedy first. And that, that sort of trickles down to the quarterback. So when you get a couple of incompletions, a couple three and outs, all of a sudden you get a guy that wants to take the shots. And if the shots aren't there, that usually results in turnovers. Yeah, we've seen so much of Venables on this stage and his ability to sort of reinvent and recreate and do some different things and show when he needs to show a lot of different looks. You know, Ohio State's defense has improved a lot this season. And the backbone of that improvement, if you talk to the people at Ohio State, is sort of been a simplification, right? We're not doing, we're not doing a ton. Uh, one coach said, you know, listen, when they had their great defense in 2014 and won the national championship, they got talked about being basic. And I think they've sort of gone back to that a little bit. It'll be interesting to see, though, in a game like this where you have far greater challenges if Halfley and Madison do some different things. Now is the point where they could possibly get a little creative because now you're being challenged with athletes who might, you know, sort of tempt you or at least force you to be a little creative. We've seen Venables do it. He has a track record of doing it. We don't know what that means for Halfley and Madison in this situation because we just haven't seen them do it. I'm fascinated to see how that plays out, and that's sort of one of the unknowns of this game. Well, the 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 main cognizant in what you just said is that when you have the best pass rusher in college football, you don't have to be very different or very right. exotic. I right. mean, it's just, hey, man, go get the quarterback and everybody else play assignment football and we'll be okay. And when you have two, three other defensive linemen that are playing good ball and winning their one-on-ones, that obviously helps that as well. So I, I think uh, if there's a problem for Clemson in this game, sort of top to bottom, and obviously Chase Young's a problem for whoever plays against him. It doesn't really matter what you have or where you go or what you do. He's just going to be a problem. I'm most interested to see how Clemson deals with the physicality in this game because Ohio State's linebackers will unbuckle your chin strap for you. I mean, those guys, they get after it. The D-line gets after it. This could be a bit of a physical mismatch just from that standpoint. Now, 
I thought the same thing with Alabama and Clemson last year. It didn't matter because that, that wasn't the game that Clemson got themselves tied up in, so they never allowed that portion, that strength of the Alabama football team to make a difference. Could be the same with this one, but I think that it has a chance to be the biggest problem. I don't, I don't think Ohio State's got to be very different. I don't think they need to be overly creative or overly problematic from a design standpoint. Um, I think you have enough guys up front who can win one-on-ones, and it can be problematic enough that if you just handle your business everywhere else, that may give you a good enough chance to go win this football game. Okay, so who wins the game? It, it, it's a coin flip, honestly. Yeah. I could sit here and convince myself that both of these teams are going to win this football game. But it comes down to coaching, experience, and quarterback play. And I trust Trevor Lawrence and I trust Dabo more in this situation. And I think somehow, someway, Clemson finds a way to get this win. I think Brent Venables can come up with a plan to slow the Ohio State offense down enough. And like I said earlier, there are more areas that this Clemson offense can find success than ever before in this entire run. And that ultimately will be the difference in this game. So then you have Clemson and LSU in the national championship game, a game played in new Orleans. So that, you know, I don't know how that, that probably helps LSU a little bit though. At this point, Clemson is a team that again, with all its experience and I know there's been, they, they don't have those defensive linemen, but it's a team that I feel like won't get necessarily flustered being on somebody else's turf, but it does have a chance to be a pretty spectacular national championship game. If you're looking ahead without doing a major deep dive breakdown, but if you're looking ahead to Clemson LSU, what do you think happens there? Honestly, I just, I would take LSU because I don't think Joe Burrow's losing. I really don't. I just, when I, when I watch him run around, I was at the SEC championship game and I'm just watching him run around in between plays in between series. And just like, the, the the extra little skip in his step after he attempts passes. I just I I don't think that he I don't think he's gonna lose. Mm-hmm. I, I think his comfort level, his confidence level with what he's doing and with what everyone is doing around him, I just don't think it matters. They they are they are one of those teams that has that it factor and they're just a little bit different than everybody else. And I think that defense is as healthy as it's been. I think Dave Aranda has so many different options with so many different players of where he's going to play them. I think LSU would be a more physical football team. And I think it would be a, a class of the Titans, a, an unbelievably exciting game. I think it would be a competitive game. But I'm just not going against Joe Burrow and, and, and what that football team's doing right now. You heard it from Cole. All right, Cole Kubelik from the SEC Network, from ESPN, from WJOX down in Alabama. You can catch him on his afternoon show, though not this week. I think he actually finally took a little vacation from that, uh, from 10 to 1, uh, three-man front, and you can even hear him on SiriusXM. Man, again, you are the hardest-working guy in the business. You always bring it on this, especially when it comes to breaking down stuff. I really appreciate you coming on with me today, Cole. Anytime, Ralph. I love talking football with you, man. Thank you so much for having me. Merry Christmas, Cole. Happy uh, holidays, and thank you so much for doing it. Appreciate it, Ralph. And now, three and out. First down. Last week, we mentioned how the next big shoe to drop in college football television deals was the SEC, the SEC on CBS package. Sports Business Journal is reporting that the SEC has walked away from CBS's best offer, and that package is more likely to land on ABC Disney slash ESPN than it is with Fox, though Fox will also make a big push. 
If SBJ's reporting is correct, and it usually is, the SEC could be adding another $20 million per school in value just from its premium TV package that's first pick of games every week to air at 3.30 Eastern time. One thing to note is that these negotiations can often be very foggy when they are in motion, and it's not easy to report stuff without getting caught up in what might be messaging and public negotiating. I trust the guys at SBJ, but there is still a lot of uncertainty on where this thing could land. Second down. Chris Peterson is done at Washington, and I must say that more so than with Urban Meyer or Bob Stoops, I am really fascinated by what Peterson does next. He doesn't seem like the type that would do TV, and he certainly left the door open, wide open, for a return to coaching. At no point did the 55-year-old even suggest he was retiring for good, but his history suggests that he will be very picky about what job he takes next if he does get back into coaching. Could he finally decide to step into the spotlight at USC? He's had opportunities before to do that and declined. You could see Peterson fitting at a place like Cal or Stanford. It's hard to imagine him in the Big 12 or Big 10, but maybe that's next. Or maybe a, you know, a school in the ACC or SEC. Again, it's hard to see him going that far away from his roots, but you never know. To me, the most logical step is this scenario. In two years, Mario Cristobal leaves Oregon to take over at Miami, which is home. And Peterson slides into the Oregon job, a job that for years he was always rumored as to be a guy who could possibly slide in there. It probably won't play out that way, but it doesn't seem a stretch to the imagination that it could play out that way. Third down. Since I made Cole make a pick for the playoff, I guess I should too. And I really want to be different and take Ohio State to beat Clemson and the Buckeyes then to win it all. But it's hard to go against Clemson and Lawrence and Dabo Sweeney and Brent Venables for a lot of the same reasons that Cole stated. I'm with him on LSU romping against Oklahoma, too. So the national title game, I am pretty consistent about not picking teams to repeat as national champions. It's just always something I felt like is really hard to do. It doesn't happen very often. So what's the sense of picking it? That means because Clemson was the national champion last year, I am more inclined to pick against Clemson in the national championship game this year. I will take LSU in what should be a terrific game, but it wouldn't surprise me in the least bit if any of Ohio State, Clemson, or LSU wins the title this season. That's the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, Warren Levinson, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Westwood One Podcast, just about anywhere you like to find your podcast. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the playoff and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. This podcast is presented by Regions Bank. You're chasing your goals, and it's up to you how you want to get there. Let Regions Bank coach you with financial tips that fit your everyday grind. Visit regions.com slash next hyphen step to learn more. Regions, member FDIC.